Can you be a prison, a mass incarceration abolitionist and still fight for the officers who killed Breonna Taylor to be arrested and go to jail? Let's unpack and explain it. I don't have a clean answer, but I at least want us to discuss it. This is Sean King. You are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. I want to start our conversation today with with a few essential points up front. The American system of mass incarceration and modern policing, this system was built on top of hundreds of years of slavery. If you want to read the book uh, Slavery by Another Name, which won the Pulitzer Prize, it, it breaks it down methodically. If you also go to YouTube and type slavery by another name, you can watch the two-hour PBS documentary, which is also amazing. And it breaks it down. Like, this is not hyperbole. This is not, um, this is not rumor. Uh, this, is, this is not uh, pseudo-history. The modern systems of mass incarceration and policing are extensions of American slavery. Every historian that understands the space has said as much, has proven as much, and the book Slavery by Another Name goes into great detail showing the continuity between plantation slavery and mass incarceration and modern-day policing. So I want to start there. And I want to start there by saying that I believe the entire system is corrupt, that it needs to be completely torn down. You've heard me say it on this podcast probably at least dozens of times, if not hundreds of times, that the thing that we call mass incarceration, the thing that we call modern day policing, it's not broken. It's functioning exactly the way it was designed and built and intended to function. It's Its design is what's ugly, what's evil, what's wrong. It's it's not broken because that would suggest it was well-designed and has deviated somehow because of some hole or, or struggle. It has deviated from its quality design, but that's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a system that's functioning exactly the way it was designed and built to function, and that's not... That's not what we would call a distinction without a difference. It's a huge difference when something is broken and you then just have to repair it back to its original design. And when something's design itself is what's wrong. And so when we talk about defunding the police or dismantling the police or defunding prisons and jails, defunding and dismantling the systems and structures of mass incarceration. When we talk about that, we say it that way because those of us who fight to dismantle it believe that the entire system is not a pivot, is not a repair, is not a Band-Aid, is not a body camera away from working. It needs to be completely dismantled, and we have to fully reimagine 
what public safety means. And that's not that's not impossible to do because most of the world already operates with significantly better definitions of public safety. But because the United States, the United States rather, is still so deeply rooted in bigotry and racism and ugliness and so many other things, our systems and structures are tied to that. And so we say we need to dismantle them. And for most of my adult life, I would consider myself a prison and policing abolitionist. But there is a new struggle going on, and I want to weigh in on the struggle, and we won't be able to settle the entire conversation here. Um, It's an important struggle, and change is hard. And if you have not yet pre-ordered my new book, Make Change, uh, you can go to makechangebook.com. I want you to pre-order it. Uh, And for those of you who think this is a money grab, I've already been paid to write the book. It took me nearly a year to research it and write it. I want you to have the book because I talk about how hard change is. And I try to take us down a path of explaining what making change really looks and feels like. You can't change systems without hard conversations, without brutally difficult conversations. It, it, It requires those types of of gut-wrenching confrontational moments because we all of us are addicted to the way things are more than we ever understand listen we have a quick word from one of our favorite sponsors and then i'll be right back to weigh in on the big struggle going on within the prison abolitionist movement and what I might call the justice movement. We'll be right back. I told myself that I was going to start reading more books during quarantine, but it can be hard to find the time to just sit down and sift through a million different options. That's why I love Blinkist. Blinkist is a unique learning tool that gathers the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and they condense the books down into 15-minute clips that you can read or listen to. I love Blinkist because it helps me find my next book quickly and easily and just breaks it down just like we do right here on the podcast. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com breakdown to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll get 25% off of a Blinkist premium membership and up to 65% off of all audiobooks that are yours to keep forever. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash breakdown to get 25% off of a premium membership and get a seven-day free trial. Again, that's Blinkist.com dot com slash breakdown check it out i know you're gonna love it it's the breakdown the breakdown the breakdown the breakdown the breakdown break it down now there is a a modern day abolitionist movement that i love and believe in and it's a distinctly american movement because i want to say There are 
actual systems of slavery that exist all over the world. And there is an abolitionist movement fighting against those systems and structures of slavery. And I'm glad that those exist. But I'm speaking specifically about the abolitionist movement to destroy, dismantle, defund the modern systems of mass incarceration and policing. And it's a vibrant youth movement. It's a, it's a super witty, intelligent, thoughtful movement. Uh, it's an intergenerational, intersectional movement. And there's a bit of a struggle uh, because many of the leaders, many of the thought leaders of the prison abolitionist movement are saying that it's wrong for those of us who are calling for the three white supremacists who murdered Ahmaud Aubrey or the three officers who murdered Breonna Taylor and the additional officer who who approved the no-knock warrant. There are people saying, hey, hey, if you are a true prison abolitionist, you would not be calling for the men who killed Ahmaud Aubrey or the men who killed Breonna Taylor. You would not be calling for them to be arrested and jailed because being a prison abolitionist means never calling for arrest and jail time. And I have to admit, I was surprised by that conversation. On an intellectual level, I understand the point that's being made. And that and I'm actually grateful that there are some people who are purist in the sense that they say, I want to dismantle the whole system so badly that I even want the men who murdered Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor to be free. Like that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a level of, uh, of that's a, that, that's a purist perspective that I have to clap for, but disagree with. And, and, and I want to kind of stake my position to say uh, as somebody my my undergraduate and graduate degrees are in history, and I primarily studied slavery and civil rights. My undergraduate degree was actually in African-American studies, and, and my graduate degree was also focused on African-American studies. And my, uh, my grad school dissertation was actually focused on the parallels between historic slavery in America and mass incarceration in America. And... The systems are deeply, deeply connected. Uh, that is, the systems of plantation and, and, and chattel slavery and mass incarceration and policing, they are deeply connected, but they're not the exact same system. And, and let me state it in the most obvious way. The men who killed Ahmaud Aubrey who effectively lynched Ahmaud Aubrey? they're not slaves. They were not taken from Africa. They were not stolen from their families. They actually committed a heinous murder. And they are currently being jailed pending trial where they will then have to face the consequences for that murder. 
So some of the problem is when we pretend as if the systems and structures of slavery and the systems and structures of mass incarceration, when we pretend as if it's a one-for-one parallel, that being incarcerated purely, explicitly means you are a slave. The men who murdered Breonna Taylor, if those men are arrested and charged and jailed, they, though, they are not a one-for-one parallel with people who were stolen from Africa and then enslaved for generations, forced to work on plantations and homes and other places purely because of the color of their skin, purely because they were treated as property. The, the, the men who murdered Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, uh, and so many others, Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, if they were held responsible, that then does not make them the same as, as an enslaved African. Now, that may sound obtuse and obvious. I just need to state it that way. Because the systems and structures and the history and function of American slavery and of the transatlantic slave trade altogether is not the exact same system. It's not a one-for-one parallel with the systems and structures of mass incarceration and modern-day policing. Yes, modern-day police are basically descendants of slave patrols, but it's not a one-for-one parallel. Yes, mass incarceration is the system that is descending from plantation slavery, but the men who murdered Ahmaud Aubrey are not plantation slaves. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? That we can and should be fighting to dismantle the systems in every possible way we can, in every possible way we know how, through elections, through organizing, through protesting, through demonstrations, that we should do it in every way. I believe in every method. Everything that we're doing is essential. And when I say everything, put that in bold print, underline it, highlight it, put an exclamation mark next to it. We should be doing and trying everything possible to dismantle the systems and structures of policing and mass incarceration, including defunding police, defunding prisons, shutting down police departments, shutting down jails and prisons. We should be about doing all of that, about decriminalizing every type of drug, decriminalizing poverty, decriminalizing drug addiction, decriminalizing homelessness, and so many other things. But we can do all of that and say the men who murdered Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor need to be held specifically responsible for what they did. And here's what I know. The families of Breonna Taylor, the family of, of Ahmaud Aubrey, those families and their friends and their networks and their advisors and supporters are calling for those men to be incarcerated. Can we simultaneously say that incarceration is often grossly inhumane and advocate for the, for the horrible men who murdered Ahmad to be incarcerated? Yes. Can we fight to change the conditions of jails and prisons? 
Can we fight to have the number of people incarcerated severely, drastically reduced? Yes. Chase Boudin, my friend and brother, who is the district attorney in San Francisco, has already reduced San Francisco's jail population in seven months by over 50 percent, which is something that many of us thought would take four years or eight years or 10 years or more. He's done it in less than a year. That can be done all over the country while still fighting for a level of accountability and justice that includes incarceration. And some people may say, well, Sean, that is uh, that's a contradiction. We currently have a system of justice, a system of laws, a system of justice and accountability that has incarceration in it. And what I'm not going to do is see a system that incarcerates millions over the course of our lifetime, tens of millions of men, women, and children from black and brown communities, but then in the name of principle, no longer holds white people accountable, no longer holds police accountable because, oh, that's some level of contradiction. No, the current laws apply to the men who murdered Ahmaud Aubrey. The current laws apply to the men who murdered George Floyd. The current laws apply to the men who murdered Breonna Taylor. And as long as those laws apply, they need to apply to those men. Period. Pointblank.com. That's my thought. That we can simultaneously walk and chew gum. We can simultaneously fight to dismantle systems and structures of policing and mass incarceration and still use those same systems to our advantage. Now, to answer what I think is a brilliant counter-argument that I see from abolitionist purists is to say we should find solutions when someone does what they did to George Floyd, the officers who murdered George Floyd, or, mur- or the men who murdered Ahmaud Aubrey, or the officers who murdered Breonna Taylor, that we should find ways to call for more than just incarceration. And I agree with that. We should find ways to be creative, imaginative, in calling for even more than just incarceration. Let's agree on that. That's part of why we formed the Truth, Justice, and Reconciliation Commissions, is to figure out smart ways to call for more than just incarceration in return to the things that they've done to harm our families and our communities. So we can agree on that, that yes, Uh, incarceration is one path toward justice and accountability, but that we should be calling for even more imaginative, creative, dynamic uh, responses to the injustices that come our way so that all we get for our protests and demonstrations can't be a few officers going to jail for a few years. That's not enough. We should call for more. I agree with that. But I am not in the camp that says the men who murdered Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor should not be held responsible with the current laws and the current systems and structures that exist. That, for me, is what I would call a bridge too far. 
All right? So just wanted to unpack it. Just wanted to give you some thoughts. And listen, if you love this podcast, if you want to support this work, we encourage you now to please, please, please go to patreon.com slash the breakdown. We need all the listeners of The Breakdown, and there are hundreds of thousands of you from all over the country. We need our listeners to actually chip in. We are a completely independent podcast, and without your financial support, we're not able to do the work that we do. This podcast has producers and editors and technology and even hosting costs. Most people don't know that podcasts aren't just hosted for free on Apple or Spotify. You have to have a third-party system that actually hosts each episode. And so we need your support. Please, please, please go now to patreon.com slash the breakdown and become a patron of the breakdown. We have nearly 2000 people that are current patrons. But when we get it to 3000, it will unlock uh, two episodes per week of live video versions of the breakdown. And we need you on board. All right. I've got to run. Appreciate your support. Take care, everybody. Break it down. Break it down. Break it down. Hey everybody, if you love the breakdown podcast, I don't know if you knew this, but we have two other amazing podcasts that I would argue might be even better than the breakdown. Right now, if you go to your favorite podcast player, you can search for Sick Empire, which is our podcast about the impact of the coronavirus pandemic in New York. Or you can go to my brand new podcast with my wife, Ray, called Married to the Movement, where we just tell our story, not just about how we met each other and fell in love, but what it means to lead and be married together in this movement for civil rights and human rights So check out Sick Empire, check out Married to the Movement, leave great reviews, subscribe, and let us know what you think. Check them out. Break it down.